We're number 19, right? This is number 19, and okay. we're now live, the Hunt for Success podcast. Take it away. Number 19, Ryan McCracken, Cody Steinman, and Justin Tucker, Chief Marketing Officer with uh, WFG National Title. Um, you know, I'm a smart guy, but when uh, I heard Chief Marketing Officer, that was a, a, a title I hadn't heard much before. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a new one to me as well. So, well, thanks for coming on. Um, number 19, we're getting close to uh, number 20 here. Um, please follow us on our social media, uh, something I'm sure Justin's going to hit on here. Um, we want to go through our social media, Ryan? Yeah, uh, Instagram, you can follow. All, all, everything's going to be the Hunt for Success podcast. So Instagram, Facebook, uh, our YouTube channel, um, and then, of course, our website, thehuntforsuccesspodcast.com. And uh, feel free to leave comments on our YouTube channel. That definitely helps us get exposure. Um, so like, yeah. like, share, subscribe, help us out here. Um, all right, so talk about your title uh, exactly for those who, like me who haven't heard it very often. You know, I think it's a, a little misleading. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, chief marketing officer is generally the person who's going to be in charge of everything from a marketing standpoint, coordinating the creative, the copy, um, the, the vision, the voice of a company, and then taking all the components that are, that are put together and making it kind of have this singular focus or this rhythm or this continuity. Um, but what I do for WFG and, and our sister company, West, uh, Chief Marketing Officer doesn't fully encapsulate that. Um, I also uh, develop our sales methodology and work very closely in training uh, our sales folks and our sales managers. Um, and what I'm really passionate about in, in what I get to do for West and WFG is kind of the technology side as well. And so whether that's teaching and training on technology marketing tactics or developing the front end of, of tech that I think is changing the way you know, the real estate process is done. So I kind of tell people when, when they ask, well, what do you do as a chief marketing officer? I say, draw three circles, one for sales, one for technology, and one for marketing, where those three things overlap is where I spend most of my time. So pretty big scope. <laughs> pretty big scope. And recruiting, and employee retention, and I have a, uh, a group of clients that, that still support me and, and uh, I'm responsible for, so a little bit of everything. Uh, so I was just at your company uh, event called Refresh, where mm -hmm. you kind of uh, do a, a, like an educational, motivational seminar. Mm -hmm. um, am I describing that properly? Yeah, uh, pretty appropriate in the, the explanation. It's We want to take real estate agents and lenders and give them exposure to what's current in the trends of marketing and technology in, in their space. Um, but more importantly, we want to give them a path to implementation. And I think at a lot of those conferences, people go, they get excited, they get overwhelmed, they have the best of intentions, and then they leave and life happens, work happens, and you end up you know, doing the same things you've always been doing. So it's a jumping off point for us where we have a, a team, uh, we call them our marketing and technology directors. Uh, we have a team of individuals that after that conference will actually go sit down with people and help them implement. Um, everything from doing your first Facebook Live video uh, to, um, you know, talking about your story and your brand to implementing really complex, you know, uh, Facebook advertising strategies and kind of everything in between. But that's really person dependent. So we do these events to give exposure, um, help people get excited about the way that marketing and tech is developing our space, um, and then give them a path to, to execution. Well, I think... <clears throat> One of the really compelling parts to kind of touch on that um, speed to implementation. Uh, one of the really compelling parts about everyone up there on the stage that day, but especially you, is 
um, WFG is a young company, mm-hmm. seven years, right? Yep. Yep. And to see uh, you guys practice what you're preaching, or maybe in reverse almost, right? Here's what we've done and all the things you implemented to get to where you are. And you talked about um, there was a graph uh, that showed, uh, you're going to correct me here, but uh, uh, having a brand you can trust or having a, a, a marketing campaign that people relate to the company. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys shot up in two years uh, to actually number one? five months. Five months. So we... Uh, so just a little bit about my background with WFG. Um, I've grown up in the title space um, and have been in it for summer jobs when I was a kid in high school through, you know, I, I gave a, a shot at escrow, which uh, I was not detail oriented enough to sit behind a desk and help people close their transactions. But when WFG started, um, I actually was employee number four. And so we walked across the street from uh, the previous company I was at. Uh, there was about seven of us, seven or eight of us sitting around at a table with yellow legal pads going, well, we got a title company now. Like, what are we going to do with it? We didn't have a title license. We didn't have an escrow license. We didn't have a production system. We didn't have copier machines. I and mean, we had nothing. And it gave us this really fresh canvas to say, well, what, what should we do? Like, what should that look like? What mistakes have we always kind of said? Why do we do it this way? And the answer was always, well, because it's always been done that way. And... Um, so we, <clears throat> we crafted our message, and, and uh, we had a vision for who we wanted to be, and we started to communicate that, and it was really successful. Um, I think we had 10% of the market in year one, um, 15% in year two, um, and by year three, uh, we had moved up to 18 to 20%, and now we hover anywhere between you know, 19 to 22%, depending upon the month. And, uh, and what I found is there's this, you know, this, there's this arc to a company, and People got really excited about the message. It was new, it was fresh, it was interesting because it was unknown. And then little by little it became familiar. And so we stepped back and said, well, what? how can we take all these messages that we've developed over the years and, and condense that into such a simple statement that'll encapsulate and endure, encapsulate our message and endure. And so we went through this process of uh, defining our brand archetype and what, what is our archetype and um, archetypes are kind of the, the characters of storytelling, like who are we? And once we identified that, we did a, a 10-month marketing campaign with the changeover. So this is a new, a new term that we had, a new tagline and term we had introduced into the market after being in the market for five or six years. And in five months, we did a survey and said, okay, can you take our new tagline and our messaging and our imagery, can you take all the title companies down one side all of their taglines and messages down the other side, and without any knowledge of whose is whose, real estate agent, lender, can you connect them? Can you say, well, this is brand X's and this is WFG's? And with the, the new change in our message, with the imagery, um, with the, the marketing, the intentional marketing campaign, in five months, we were able to become the most recognizable uh, tagline and mission statement uh, against a sea of competitors who have been using the same one for 20 years, 30 years. And so it really shows that it's not enough just to do it. It's that you have to do it right now. Um, well, and did you, uh, on the archetypes, how did you use that? Was that to figure out what WFG's archetype was or the people behind the scenes or was it the people you're targeting? Uh, good question. Uh, so you, we did two things. We did the archetype of our company and we did focus groups of employees and we asked them a lot of questions about how they felt about WFG, what they liked about WFG, why they came to WFG, 
Uh, we did these online surveys that the answers uh, help you kind of connect to a specific archetype. And we went through that whole process of saying, well, who, who are we first? Because companies need to find out their voice, their why, their connection to people. And then you do personas. And personas are, you know, this, this who is our perfect realtor? Who is our perfect lender? And I think sometimes people try to fit into every box. And if you try to fit into every box, my kind of feeling is you end up fitting into no boxes. So it was like, who is that? And it was for us early on, it was who is that, you know, top tier real estate agent or lender that is either all in on tech and marketing strategies and wants to find a company that can partner with them and help them grow in the same type of strategies or tech curious. Like, I know I need to be doing this stuff, but I don't know how, and I'm looking for someone to give me guidance. Most of the people who were like, look, I don't have any interest in any of that. We might, we might have ended up being a bad fit. Now, we work with people of all you know, shapes and sizes and how they construct their business. But uh, So once you develop the personas and you develop you know, who, who you are, marketing becomes a much easier game because now you're not sitting there thinking about what to say. You're very clear on how you're going to communicate, what that message is. And more importantly, in our industry, it starts to trickle down. It starts to, it starts to find its way into how escrow officers answer the phone and how sales reps position their sales meetings and how you know, title people feel about making sure they get title reports out accurately and fast. And I know title's not sexy, um, but once people start to buy into a, a message and a vision they start to that they believe in, they start to live it. Um, too many companies just come up with a jargon, some jargon statement that sounds good, it's full of buzzwords, but they don't believe it or live it. And that almost becomes counterproductive because people get, become cynical, you know, like, yeah. oh, you're so tech forward, but like your tech's awful <laughs> or, you know, that type of thing. Well, and title and mortgages and stuff isn't necessarily sexy, but business is sexy, right? Sure. And the playing field's really been leveled with technology where you can, you're not limited for thinking outside the box and using technology in your marketing strategy. It's almost like Definitely. everybody's kind of using the same social media and everything. So it's not like you need a $5 million marketing team and budget right, to right. do what you need to do. Absolutely. Let's go back a little bit. I'm interested in the archetypes and uh, I was excited that you were coming on today so I could hear it again okay. because uh, uh, we had a couple of us in the office do the archetype. Uh, what are some examples of uh, archetypes and personas? So for instance, you'd have like the hero. Um, the hero would be like Nike. Nike is always trying to position themselves as a hero brand. And it doesn't mean that they're boastful or that they're the hero. They might be positioning you as the hero. Um, Nike had this famous, just amazing ad. It's one of my favorite ads that, that I've ever seen. And it was um, a, an overweight kid um, on a dirt road with no music, no sound, and He's got running shoes on, and he is not running at a blistering pace, right? He, he is. He's a heavy set kid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. which one you're talking it's about. So, oh, I get goosebumps. I mean, I'm a heavy set guy, so, like, I can relate to, like, oh, running is not what's on my list of, of things I want to do at this moment. Um, and, and yet, here is this, this kid persevering, getting up, running, making a difference in his life, no matter, it, it, no matter that it's, it's uncomfortable or awkward or difficult, they position him as the hero right in that moment. So everything Nike does is to position people as the hero. Um, there's companies that, you know, are, are the rulers and th those would be, 
you know, about exclusivity and leading and, and head of the pack. They'd be companies like Rolex or um, Mercedes, things like that. Um, one that I relate to at a really high level, it's actually my personal archetype is uh, sage, being a sage, which seeks knowledge and wisdom and learning and mastering a craft and really, you know, really, really uh, connecting to others that do the same thing. That'd be a brand like the Wall Street Journal. So, that, but there's there's twelve um, there's twelve essential uh, archetypes to storytelling that we've seen through movies and commercials and books and and we relate to those characters without even knowing it. So, uh, does everybody fit into one of those twelve? Like, is it a personality thing? Like, when you take like a Strength Finders test or something like that, where you're you're gonna and everybody is one of those, or can you be multiple or? You know, that, that's that's the debate with all of those Myers-Briggs and DISC and, you know, archetype and whatever. I think I think it's too simplistic to say you're one. I think you have a dominant. I think there's, you know, a direction you, you lean to. But I actually think we probably play all of those roles at some point in time in our life. And it's probably dictated more by scenario. I mean, I think, you know, if you lean towards being a sage, but then, you know, you fall in love and, and you start you know, connecting to this person and now you're doing these things that are out of character and you're, you're, you know, showing up with gifts and now all of a sudden you've moved over to the lover archetype. Like, I think we have elements of them, but there's definitely a dominant. And for a brand, um, I think it's important to focus on one or two, um, the melding of, of maybe your, your primary and your secondary, because if you try to communicate to all 12, your marketing will be muddled, confusing, um, inconsistent. So I think more as people, we, we probably have a diversity of, of those personality characteristics. But as a brand, I think you really got to try to hone in on one or two. And one thing that um, I like about <clears throat> WFG as a whole, but also listening to you speak, was how real and authentic you were. Oh, um, thank you. Do you, uh, as a company, when you're picking your marketing strategy, strategy with the archetypes in mind, uh, is it how do you pick one? Um, do you pick one off based of who you're targeting, or do you try to pick one that's true to the company? You know, two, two schools of thought there. Ours is to pick who we are. Um, that's why we listen to our employees. You know, instead of me sitting back and saying as the chief marketing officer, I think we should be a ruler archetype, so that's what we're going to set up. If we would have done that, I think we would have had conflict. I think we would have had conflict with our message to uh, our employees who came over for very different reasons. So. We spent a lot of time in, in uh, small think tank groups, surveying them, why did you come, what do you think of WFG? And when they told us what that was, they dictated our archetype because, th because they're gonna live it um, versus us sitting back and, and trying to say, well, here's who we want to be. I think it's more important to be who you are uh, because then you, you're authentic with it and your actions represent it. If we tried to put a you know square peg into a round hole and, and say we were gonna be a different archetype and then all of our employees couldn't relate to it and we start, losing employees or there's friction or they start, you know, having this, this uh, lack of alignment with where we're going, that's more detrimental than the value we would have received by trying to communicate a different message to the market. So uh, what's the um, uh, tagline that you guys came up with? And uh, uh, can you pull up the WFG website? I'm yeah. sure it's right on there, right? It should be on the, the homepage right up front. So. Um, the tagline we ended up coming up with is uh, because of you. And because of you, it's this remembrance that, uh, it's this constant reminder that we do not exist without our clients. Um, too many of our competitors have become very internally focused. It's almost become like this commodity. And it's, it's like, well, we don't price compete, we're regulated. 
Uh, we're a necessary service. You have to use us. So fit into our world. And when we opened our doors, you know, a little over seven years ago, um, or in year number eight now, we were very much focused on being externally, uh, we're keeping our eyes externally on what's important to our clients. And so whether it's because of you, the client, because of you, the buyer, because of you, the seller, because of you, the employee, the only purpose we have as a company is, is because of the, the people that we serve versus, you know, and, and by contrast, I won't name names, but by contrast, you know, some of our competitors are, look how many reserves we have in the bank, and we're the biggest, and we're so stable, and oh, we just, you know, we have 30% market share, and, we, and it's all focused on them. I really think you're missing an opportunity to, to reframe that. I also think it's why our industry hasn't evolved, is if all you do is think about you, and you're never thinking about the consumer experience and your client experiences, why would you ever evolve? You're just making a bunch of money and life's grand and no need to change. We've done some pretty cool stuff on the tech side because we stay externally focused that I think is kind of changing the way that the title's done. Do you think that individuals and companies that are innovating and they're innovating their marketing and not being stagnant um, are benefited from the mortgage collapse and the, and the recession. Because one thing that we've uh, learned by uh, doing this journey through personal development through the podcast is how many cool stories came out of people having to reinvent themselves yep. after the crash Absolutely. and companies having to reinvent themselves out of the crash. Uh, Ryan and I work for a company that um, is about as old as WFG. I think we're eight years old, eight or nine years old. But uh, we came when... All the mortgage companies were going out of business. Here comes our company, Finance mm -hmm. of America. It was Alpine at the time. Yep. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of people thought WFG was crazy and our company was crazy yep. for diving right back in and starting a new company right after the, the In a horrible market, yeah. But I think out of that came a different way of thinking and having to be scrappy and having yep. to, to hustle. Uh, and uh, I think we're just starting to see the results of that. Not just in our industry, but um, look at uh, Tesla, Uber, all these big companies that came out of the crash and the in the recession. I couldn't agree more. I mean, friction leads to innovation. I mean, it's when there's a problem to solve, and um, I, it's a it's an old book, so I hate to reference <clears throat> like a an old book that's fairly common. But good to great has this really simplistic message that the biggest enemy of ever becoming great is being good because there's no reason to change. Like, we're good, things are fine. And I think that's what was happening in our space is for a lot of years, things were just fine and people were, you know, making a good living. And, and then when that happened and people had to like reinvent themselves, I mean, the price of doing a mortgage skyrocketed for companies and they had to get more creative with comp plans and value and procedural stuff. And then you have all this, these compliance restric restrictions entering in that now jack up the price even more. And they're, they're sitting there thinking, well, how can we stay human, but also what efficiencies can we create over a large scale amount of volume that are going to help us, you know, still be, still be a viable company. So people had to re, re uh, take a, a look at their models and reinvent themselves. And I don't think that happens without the friction. I think without the friction, people just keep plugging along. It's kind of like how a, <laughs> a lightning bolt start a forest fire, yeah. and that forest will thrive after after the fire, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, or a farmer burning his crop at the end of the season. Yep. Uh, so, obviously, WFG's had a tremendous amount of success. You've had a tremendous amount of success in your career. It sounds like. 
what about that success is important to you as an individual? You know, that's, <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, part of it's identity, right? I think that's just kind of my makeup is I, you know, you have friends and you have family and you have the things that you do on a personal level that, that fill your bucket. And one of the things that fills my bucket is this identity. It's when I was a, when I was a, a little kid, my dad used to build houses and uh, we would drive around and he would point to a house that he built and he would say, oh, look, I, I built that. And I remember thinking how cool that was, right? That there is, in, in his space, he's got this little tiny legacy that he can drive around and say, you know, my efforts meant something. And then I, I got into sales for a title company. And this title company was well-established and their model was already in place. And uh, there was no opportunity for legacy there. It was working in a model that already existed. When WFG came along, it gave me an opportunity to walk around, you know, in 20 or 30 years and be in a, you know, be in Dallas, Texas and drive by a WFG office and go, I built that. Like I was a part of building that. And so many people have been a part of building it. But that I always remember as a little kid just loving that my dad had the ability to do that. And early on in my career, I felt so unfulfilled because I didn't. I mean, it was like, I'm just kind of cashing a paycheck and going through the motions. And so building something has been one of the coolest parts of, of my career. I mean, going from um, 10 people, you know, eight to 10 people trying to figure out what we were going to build to, we're in 46 states now and we have 12 or 1300 employees and we have close to 3% national market share. I mean, that, and that's from scratch. That's from zero. I think so many people are stuck at your old job where, where you don't have that opportunity for that legacy, but they don't know how, whether it's go to a a new company and start something there or kind of like Joe Roder on our last episode, uh, change his career path from uh, being an employee to going out and being a fishing guide and completely transforming his life. Yep. Did you feel at the time when you went to WFG that you were taking a risk? Oh, 100%. It was terrifying. I mean, it was terrifying because I had a comfortable job with a decent paycheck that I probably could have done for the next 30 years. And I, I you know, might have gotten a tiny promotion here or there in, in that, that model that they had that already existed. Um, but fear is a very powerful motivator as well. And so once I pulled off the Band-Aid and did that, I mean, I, I feel like we were outworking our competition every single day because there was some fear. It was like, this isn't, this isn't a guarantee that this is going to work, that our doors are going to be open, that we're going to continue to you know, be a, a viable company. And so we were working our tails off because there was that, that motivation. Um, I think it's a, I, I don't want to misquote this. Um, I think it's a, a Floyd Mayweather quote where he says, uh, it's hard to be starving when your fridge is full of food. And uh, th- we were starving. It was like every order mattered. Every client interaction mattered. Every touch point mattered. As soon as companies become comfortable, they get to that tipping point where they know they're not going anywhere. And we're there now. Um, it, it's really hard to keep doing the things that helped you get there. And that's the mentality we try to keep as a, as a young, growing company. Is like Even though we're not a startup anymore. We want to keep acting like one, reinventing ourselves, not thinking we have all the answers, thinking of better ways to doing things. But uh, yeah, it was terrifying. It was terrible. And, and we were fortunate enough to have, you know, 40, 50 people in the first couple of months leave, leave their comfortable position, trust in us, 
and, and come over and be a part of building it too. And that's their families, that's their livelihood. I mean, yeah, that's, it's scary. Yeah, because not only are you risking, you're, you're, you're taking a risk, but you're taking a risk for other people too. Uh, when you made that decision, um, did you have uh, mentors or family or people that you went to go, look, I don't know what to do here. I want to take this gamble, but I'm scared. I don't know if it's the right thing to do. Because uh, sometimes it's hard to find, like when you're trying to make a decision and you don't know what to do, having those people I found is important. But. You know, I actually found my mentor at WFG. Um, you know, he's the person that's really given me a lot of guidance and pushed me for a lot of personal development. At that time, um, no, not really. For me, I was so frustrated. I was so frustrated with coming to my current company and having an idea and saying we should do, and them going, oh, yeah. I mean, it's not a bad idea, but we've always just kind of done it this way. And I got so frustrated with the lack of creativity. Uh, and the unwillingness to take a risk or try something new, I was the timing was just perfect. I was ready. I was ready to go take a swing at something and, and be able to put my thumbprint on it and have a voice. Um, and then I turned. It turned out that that's where I found my mentor, who has given me so much personal guidance and, and helped me develop on so many levels. I mean, it was. It's been the best education to sit next to to this gentleman for the past you know seven years and watch the way in which he conducts himself and handles his business. It's, I mean, it's. It's invaluable. Uh, so did you go to school for marketing? Was that your? Uh, my undergraduate degree uh, is in psychology. So I, I got my psych degree from Oregon State, uh, go Beavs, uh, even though it's tough to win a football game there, but we're having fun with it. Um, but uh, we, or when I uh, went to WFG, about year, maybe year two-ish, my CEO and, and mentor, um, Pat Stone, came to me and said, you need to go back to grad school. And I'm like, Pat, I'm on a plane for you 100 days a year right now. I'm trying to help you build other operations. I have this book of clients. I'm working uh, because every rep piece of revenue is important. I'm, you know, I'm grinding for you. And you're giving me a bad time about going back to school. And he's like, there's never going to be a good time. You should go back to school. That was the first time he said it. It was very nice. And you know, then the <laughs> second time, got a little more forceful. Then the third time. Then the fourth time. Then he starts calling me out in front of meetings in, in our entire uh, organization, just being like, hey, you guys know that Justin Tucker guy? Like, he's got a lot of promise. Too bad he won't commit to his career. I mean, then he starts wow. just poking at me and poking at me. And finally, I'm like, all right, I'm in. Let's do it. And uh, I went back to grad school and got my MBA in marketing. Um, and because marketing kind of became a passion of mine through my personal development and uh he supported me the whole way through it. I mean, I can't thank him enough for pushing me through that mental roadblock. And then there's also something to be said where when you know you have to show your CEO your grades, that also motivated me to make sure that they were uh, definitely uh, uh, above board. So, But I, I can't thank him enough for pushing me to do that. It was a, an amazing experience. It's added to my knowledge, my credibility. I wish, I wish that when I was at undergrad, I could have directly applied what I was learning to my job. Because when I was working full time and going back to school to get my MBA, I would like get out of class and go, ooh, I can use that, like right now. Yeah. And it was so much more you know, applicable to, to my world. It's interesting because there's no right or wrong answer anymore to, to uh, education and college, right? You can go get a, I mean, how many millennials or people we know that go get their four year degree that never use it? Yep. Um, well, and 
<clears throat> my experience in, in college is I couldn't do what you were just talking about until I directly took that first internship. Yep. And then as soon as I came back from that internship, then all my marketing classes, everything made sense because I could directly relate it to what was happening in, in the real world. And so it was, it was crucial that, you know, that that internship happened. Oh, ab absolutely. I mean, Pat, um, he's very involved with Oregon State. He's on the board. Um, they raise a ton of money. And one of the things that they do right now is they're focused on experiential learning. So for instance, there's a real estate club and, and he's working right now to have the university potentially buy a handful of rentals that the real estate club has to identify, purchase, find renters, maintain, and go through the experience of that versus sitting in a classroom saying, all right, well, here's some formulas for real estate investing. I mean, you're going to make them actually go through that experience. That's awesome. Um, we've also, we're going we're gonna to do a couple of projects with Oregon State um, where we're going to let them look under our hood of some things that maybe we're too close to. Um, they've done some, Oregon State's done some really cool projects for companies like Burgerville that have totally changed their, their sales and their process. So it's fun to, to get a mind that's open and has no preconceived notions and is looking at it from a completely different angle in which, you know, we're, we're seeing it. So I love that experiential learning, you know, environment. Uh, let's talk about millennials for a minute because I think that I feel bad for the millennials that are uh, going to be really successful because they're lumped in with this uh, this group that people perceive as lazy or um, entitled. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> you couldn't get that word out fast enough. No, I was. I thought he was going to draw a blank there, so I was going to say yeah. entitled. Uh, so, um, do you? What's you been your experience uh, with millennials? And we see them more and more buying houses now, so we're doing yep. business with these people, we're marketing to them, we're talking about social media. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, first off, um, they, we, um, don't let the balding and gray hair fool you. Um, I am like the last year of being a potential millennial. 1981. Um, yeah. Me too. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> My mom reminded me that. She's like, you're a millennial too. Yeah. At the same point in time that I can relate to, you know, what it was like to have a pager or use a payphone, I also am not, you know, I, I'm savvy enough to use tech. But um, I think with anything, no one likes to be lumped into a group. I mean, there's a consistency. I, I've done a lot of millennial panels. Um, I've done a lot of millennial video interviews where we, you know, ask them questions about how they feel about real estate and, and you know, it's, it's an across the board, like, please stop calling me millennial. Um, please stop defining me because there's such a diversity there. But I think millennials get a bad rap because millennials are also highly, they're, highly motivated at things that interest them. They're um, very savvy in, in technology and emotional intelligence and connectivity and all of these things, but we lump them into, oh, they're lazy, they're entitled. They just have a different mindset. It's, I mean, and, and it's tough. It's tough for companies to evolve, especially when the cross-section right now, the largest two cohorts in the workforce are millennials and baby boomers. Yeah. I mean, talk about a a different cross-section of how to communicate and interact. I mean, really talented companies have multi-communication platforms to reach their audiences that have a ton of different ways of dissecting information. But that's a whole other topic. Um, I think it's hard for companies to realize a millennial sitting there thinking, 
well, yeah, maybe I walked in at, at 8.30 and I left at 4, but I did twice the amount of work and got you three times the amount of results than the person next to me. Why are we honoring long work hours? Why has it become, you know, this badge of honor to say, well, I worked like 12 hours today. It should be about output. It's like, what did you get done? What did you accomplish? What, what things did you do to move the needle? And that's a foreign concept because we've always, we've always, you know, praised people who show up at 7.30 and leave at 7 and skip vacation days and work on weekends. We've always, you know, said, oh, that guy is, is working his, his tail off. It's like, well, why is it taking him that long to get some of that stuff done might be a better question. Um, so I, I think there's going to be a lot of conflict with the traditional business model and, and millennials entering the workforce, but they have a ton to offer a completely different perspective. And I think it's a, I, I think it's an unfair, um, I think there's a, they'll work hard for the right thing. Yeah, I don't remember where I heard this. It might have been at something Noah did a couple years ago, but for the first time in our country's history, we have five generations working together at the same time. That's crazy. And so, I mean, how do you, because you have the old timers that are used to doing lots of paperwork or lots yep. of tasks that now take a quarter of the percent of the time because of technology. Yep. So how do you manage to keep them motivated at the same time as the uh, baby boomers and the Gen Xers and the millennials. Um, one thing I found really interesting, and I see a lot of people making a big mistake uh, in their marketing uh, with technology, where they're 100% on board with technology, and they're getting so wrapped up to it that they are starting to lose their connection with the relationships. Amen. And one thing you said at, at the refresh that I really enjoyed hearing and thinking about was uh, you had a statistic, and you're going to have to correct me, but uh, where um, millennials want to find you through technology, and then when they get to a certain point, they want the one-on-one -on -one phone call relationship. Yep. And uh, do you think that people are missing that, and they're going all technology the whole way? A hundred percent. I mean, I we we make these we make these generalizations because we're lazy. I mean, seriously, as humans, it's easier for us to to come up with a generalization filter it and and then be able to make a decision because of it so now it's become you know tech and it's like our millennials don't want people and you know i did a lot of video interviews with millennials who all said inevitably they want to you know search look text do all this to find a property but at the end of the day they still want to connect to a real estate agent and they still want that personal touch and that kind of concierge you know level service and so technology should empower humanity, not replace it. Uh, one of my favorite phrases for this is scaling personalization. It should help you scale, have a higher number of people you can connect with, but it should give you opportunities to do that in a very authentic and meaningful way. Uh, one of my favorite marketing people on the planet uh, says that companies will always be remembered by their most recent or their most extreme experience. And so like, what was the most recent touch you have, good or bad? Um, every email, every post teaches someone whether they're going to read your next email or read your next post. Or what was the most extreme thing you did, good or bad? And so when people start to automate themselves out of relationships, I think they're missing the point of technology. It's supposed to give you access and transparency and, and the ability to scale, but it should not remove that, that human element from the process. And if you do, I just think you're doing it wrong. I mean, Well, in the, I'm listening to you talk, and I realize how important it's been over the last few years for myself and I'm sure other people in our industry because we are 
um, a business within a business, right? And so I don't have a chief marketing officer. And so surrounding myself with companies that are willing to teach and mm -hmm. share ideas and stuff has made me be ahead of the curve on some things we're doing. Um, and I think that balance between <coughs> relationship and technology is an important one where um, four years ago, maybe three years ago, technology was a good separating factor. Yeah. Because I was ahead of the curve a little bit on some of the technology so I could win business and win yep. relationships with that technology. Um, and the relationship was still really important, but I could really impress somebody by doing everything over the internet, right? And then it's starting to change. Yep. Where um, that's great, you have all this technology. I can also track my pizza from, yeah. from Domino's using my app. So just hearing you describe the, the millennials and how they look at it, that technology isn't um, exciting anymore. It's the standard. It's the expectation yep. where it's kind of fun because we can go back to being old school and sit down in an office with somebody, look them in the face after doing meeting the expectation and using our relationships and our ability to build trust as the separating factor. Amen. I mean, I think with with any type of marketing strategy or development in technology, you have early adopters, and those people are, are going to see, they're going to have the most pain at adopting it, but they're going to probably see the most benefit from the system. And then the market's going to catch up. And con being contrarian has value. I mean, if everyone's doing one thing to do something else. And so what's happened is it's no longer enough to be in the space. It used to be like, what is your online reputation? Are you on social? Are you posting a couple times a day? Are you sending out email? And it didn't matter what you said. Now that everyone's in the space, it's critically important what you say. I mean, critically important because it's, it's noise and there's all this noise around us and we have this scroll, 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 stop mentality. So now what you say and how you say it means more than it ever has. And that becomes creating an identity and showing you know who you are and and having those personal touches back towards people. I mean, there's this really cool system out there that we recommend a lot from our friends at BombBomb. It's called Prompt. And Prompt has these evergreen emails for people's birthday and anniversary of their home and some various stuff like that. But before it sends out that email, it pings you and says, hey, here are the three emails that we're getting ready to send out today to Jared, you know, Jan, and, and Ashley. Do you want to send them, yes or no? Or would you like to quickly shoot a custom one? And I think about this all the time because I had a college buddy who went to a real estate company and uh, he put me on his drip email campaign. And I basically ended up emailing him like, dude, what's up? Like, why are you sending me all this crap? Like, you know me. We've had way too many Jaeger bombs and fireball shots together <laughs> for you to be sending me like chicken marsala recipes, dude. Like, come on. And, and that moment would be so much more impactful if he was like using a system like Prompt and it was my birthday and he had an evergreen birthday video and he goes, oh no, that's, that's, that's Tuck. I gotta, um, I gotta be more personal with him. And he hits record and he's like, JT, Tuck, what's up, man, dude? I hope to get to see you at a couple Oregon State games this year. You know, really miss uh, hanging out. Hope everything's good with work. We need to find a time to catch up. Anyways, I just wanted to say happy birthday to you. Um, and uh, next Jaeger bombs on me, right? That, that, the difference in time is not even measurable, but the difference in impact is incredibly different. It's old school. It's old school. It's personal. It's one-to-one. Yeah. -one. I mean, marketing should be one-to-one -one or one-to-a-few, not one-to-many right now. And too many people are doing this one-to-many 
You know, I'm going to have one general message. I'm going to put it out to every single person. I mean, it's like I love what guys like Brian Buffini stand for, and I'm not going to be overly critical of, of someone as successful as, as he is, but how flawed it is, is it that you could sell someone a house, you could just sell them a house, and the next marketing piece that Buffini has tied up for you is staging tips to help you sell your home. And how flawed is that? That, that you just sell a friend a home, and then what they get in the, in the mail from you after they just finished moving in is staging <laughs> tips for selling your home. That is, it, it is not enough just to be in the space anymore. You have to start thinking about how do you personalize this communication um, and, and do it in a way that's impactful and meaningful because generic is not, I mean, people are, not only do people ignore it, they're almost offended by it now. <laughs> it's like, really, that's how much you care about me? All right. I got a text message from uh, one of my past clients uh, last night and it was a picture of my postcard with uh, uh, those heart candies all over it saying Happy Valentine's Day. One of them said, call me. And uh, he's like, I'll just text you instead, LOL. I'm like, oh, how embarrassing <laughs> that, uh, that that got sent out. And uh, it's easy to get so far away from your marketing, especially if you have a team and it's automated. Yep. You can kind of get away and forget and just trust, oh, I got marketing taken care of. It's going to send out these postcards. I didn't even look at that postcard. Yep. I'm sure the people that really know me and have that relationship thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Not I, in a good way. I literally will go through, like I, you know, I had, uh, I, I did a refinance campaign and I went through my entire database and scrubbed it as good as I possibly could for anybody that I had refinanced recently. Yep. Cause that's the last thing that I want is to, you know, have something go out where they're like, really? Yep. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, personalized thank you cards. I don't let anybody in my office write those for me. Absolutely. It has to, if it's a girl's handwriting and it goes out on my behalf, it drives me crazy because I'm like, it has to come from me. Well, you're 100% right. I mean, I think people get into this mentality of approaching marketing like it's a to-do list. Like, I just got to get this stuff out. I just got to get done. I got I to gotta get a, a birthday cards out and I got to get a happy Valentine's Day message out. And then you're like, I did it. And it's like, no, what's the outcome you want? I mean, what's the outcome that you want before you even think about marketing? We use a pretty simple formula, which is um, audience message mechanism. It's like, who are you talking to? Say that again. Uh, audience message mechanism. It's, it's you know, who are you talking to? What do you want to say to them? And then what's the, what's the best way to, de to deliver it? And uh, I think people start the other direction too many times. And it becomes impersonal. I mean, I can't tell you how often, you know, people send out this generic general stuff um, and, and it's to their friends and their sphere. Now, if we're doing online lead gen, we're, we're, you know, we don't know these people from Adam and we're doing everything we can to convert, totally different strategy. I mean, that is going to be mass marketing, repetitive, how early. We know we're going to probably offend some people, but we're going to convert some people totally different strategy but seeing that most of our uh, most of the people in this industry are sphere and referral based their their marketing strategy should become super personal um that the gentleman i was talking about earlier um his his company is called unmarketing and it's like how do you basically do all the things opposite of what people think marketing should be and he has this really cool story uh, of the ritz carlton and we think ritz carlton and we think you know this luxury brand and it's you know, it's so, you know, no pun intended, ritzy, and, 
and uh, you know it's uppity, and there's this story, and if you Google it, you'll find it. Um, if you Google Ritz Carlton Joshi, there's this story of a family that went to on vacation to the Ritz Carlton, and uh, when they left, one of their uh, children left their stuffed animal Joshi there. Now, if you have kids and they lose their favorite stuffed animal. Like, that is not a good week for you. That is not a good month for you, right? <laughs> it's, a that big, is, it's a big deal. That's a big deal. And so they called the Ritz-Carlton, and they're like, we left this stuffed animal. We have no idea where, you know, can you please help us find it? And they ended up finding it in wrapped up in one of the bed sheets. And so the parents were just so excited, but the kid is, is unconsolable and freaking out. And so they say, no, no, Josh, he's fine. Um, we just, uh, Joshie's on a little bit of an extended vacation. You know, he wanted to relax a little bit before he comes home. The Ritz-Carlton went around and took pictures of Joshie at the spa and Joshie at the bar and Joshie, you know, meeting friends on the golf course. And they were sending these pictures back to this, uh, this kid and this family all while, you know, they were shipping um, Joshie back on a, you know, just a couple day, you know, overnight type thing. This thing blew up. Like, it, it, it blew up online. It, the, the family is like, I will stay at the Ritz-Carlton for the rest of my life. Like, that story he's probably told a million times. And it didn't take anything but some personal touch, energy, and effort. And it's from a brand that we notoriously connect to, luxury and stuffy. And here they are walking around with, like, a stuffed hippo, you know, positioning. I mean, what do you, if you're sitting in the bar and they come walking in <laughs> with Joshy and position him and start taking pictures, you're like, where am I? Right? What is this place? But it's the most impactful thing they could have done over any million-dollar ad campaign. Well, and I'm sure it was fun for the people at the Ritz-Carlton. Oh, amen. And they got enjoy, enjoyment out of it. And just Absolutely. listening to you talk, I'm realizing uh, that I'm getting away from my favorite part about my job, which is the relationships. right? And if I send out a bunch of postcards and then I don't connect with the people I enjoyed and help them with something so important... Uh, that when it's their birthday and I have reluctance to pick up that phone and <laughs> call them, you know, I'm getting away from what's important to me and my satisfaction of my job. Yep. And I think that definitely comes across. Well, and even Facebook has taken away the power of birthdays. I mean, I still think we want to recognize people on, on their birthdays, but what about a phone call just cause? Mm -hmm. Like just random. Like, hey, just crossed my mind today. Want to check on you. How are things going? You know, anything I can do for you? Awesome. We should totally, you know, sync up. I mean, that, the, 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 the just because interaction is like gone. It's always like, well, it's, what is the reason I have? Is it their birthday? Is it the anniversary of their home? Is it like, we, we, we are, again, we're trying to systematize it. We're trying to say, this makes it easier for me to manage if I just know my personal reach out would be on their birthday. Um, as opposed to just, hey, I just want to reach out. And, and authentically caring about what's going on in someone's world. So your background in, with your undergrad in psychology, are you using that when you're when you're look, analyzing that how you're interacting with people? Does that come into play? Like it, I, I can kind of just listen to you talk now. I can kind of see that. It, it really does. I mean, I would be what you would consider a social introvert, um, which everyone always shakes their head when they hear that. Like, I'm, uh, but I, I'm very thankful for it because as an introvert, I'm always paying attention to the energy in a room the tone in someone's voice, when to engage, when to, to back away. And, and uh, it served me well in, in my, my sales career and now even more so in, in my marketing um, career. But um, 100%, I mean, I think, you know, that emo emotional intelligence and critical thinking are two of the most underrated skills that we don't foster or pay attention to. 
I couldn't agree more. I'm a huge emotional intelligence fan, the 2.0 book. Yeah, it's a great read. Um, so that bucket you're talking about that wasn't being filled at your previous company, uh, is there a lot of room left in that bucket? Talk a little bit about how you manage your, your work life, because I, I thought it was great. I don't know if it was <coughs> planned, but uh, when you came out on stage right before you came out, they showed uh, uh, a video, and I guess you're a Star Wars fan? Uh, that was a video of my colleague, the Star Wars oh, video. Oh, I thought it was you. Well, never mind. But that, yeah. but that was great because they showed him with his family and getting yep. uh, hit in the nuts with the lightsaber. No, I was the one but they compared to Justin Timberlake because right. I was wearing an animal shirt, and he wore an animal shirt in the Super Bowl <laughs> or in the Super Bowl <laughs> halftime show. So, the, the who wore it better? I think he probably. That's did. what it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually watched the halftime show this year the first time in a long time. But my <clears throat> wife's a huge Justin Timberlake fan, so. Uh, but no, the work-life balance, because um, I go back and forth on this, uh, because I like to work, I get a lot of satisfaction of it, and I think that a lot of people, and I think that we're starting to come out of this as a culture, but a lot of people use that work-life balance as an excuse to not work hard. Yeah. Uh, but... Yep. Um, Couldn't agree more. <laughs> uh, I was listening to a podcast this morning, and they were talking about um, uh, indirect and direct... Uh, uh, reasoning for what you're doing. So, like, if you the example he uses, it, I think I use the wrong vocabulary. But if you're playing the piano in the morning, uh, and you're doing that for uh, yourself, that's a certain. You're doing it for your motive is just to make yourself happier or yep. enjoy it. But if you were to, to play the piano for monetary reasons or to play it uh, for um, a career reason, your enjoyment level changes from doing it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I've always been really good about finding things like hunting and fishing that I'm only doing because they're fun doing. Yep. Um, and I think that helps me with my work-life balance. So back to my original question, how full, how much room is left in the bucket after WFG? A little, a little. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, you, you brought it up earlier when we were chatting about um, how much I care about the people who have taken the risk to come be a part of building this. I take that responsible that responsibility very seriously. I mean, we've had... I mean, I've personally probably been attached to a hundred plus people who have made the decision to come be a part of this company. And so I want to do everything I can to do right by them and, and prove them that that was the right decision, prove to them that that was the right decision. Um, but to your, your earlier comment, I think balance is a novelty concept. I mean, when people say balance, they think like equal parts, which it's not. It's, it's how do you, what, what parts go into your bucket that make you feel balanced? It's when you get out of balance and you feel off or anxious or sad or whatever, that, that's what that means, right? And I like my identity in terms of what I'm doing for WFG right now. Do I want to work this many hours and spend this many days on a plane for the rest of my life? Oh, absolutely not, because there'll be transitions in, in what's important to me. But, um, you know, I, I, I think I have a, a great group of friends. I have a great family. I, I love what I do. Um, I'm constantly learning. Learning is important to me. And when we hire for roles on my team, one of the first questions I ask them is, if you're sitting on your couch watching TV and you're flipping through your newsfeed on Facebook and TechCrunch puts out an article that's like the most innovative piece of technology that's going to change the way every industry is done, do you read that instantly because you just you're you're so interested, or do you bypass it or do the I'll get to it later thing? If you do those two things, you're not going to be a good fit for my team. Like, I want you to be so passionate and interested. Um, we call our, our, our small group the nerds. Like, I want you to nerd out. I want you to geek out about that type of stuff. 
And so in, in the other parts of my bucket, I'm researching and reading and is there a benefit to me in my work life with that? A hundred percent. But do I get a lot of enjoyment out of, you know, learning? I, I do. And you were referencing earlier, you know, the, the justification that we do with making decisions or, you know, playing the piano for work or for, there's a really great book called Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow. And it talks about like our system one, system two brains and where, you know, the, the example would be like, you want to buy a motorcycle. And so you give all the factual validation of like save gas mileage and my insurance will be great. But what you really want is the adrenaline and you mm-hmm. want to like ride fast and have <laughs> the wind in your head. And our, so our brains are always working to validate the more core things that we, we find joy and pleasure out of. Um, I can validate the time I spend, you know, reading, learning, watching, listening, that it helps at my job, but I get a ton of enjoyment out of, you know, that, that, that process of, of, of improving. So, uh, yeah, I need to get better at that. I do have an off switch and I use the wrong words. It was intrinsic and extrinsic yep. were the, were the, the two words. And, um, uh, I'm very protective of, and I'm a relationship guy, so there's nothing more. I, I, on my Saturdays from, 5.30 to noon, that's my time to not think about anything except hanging out with my buddies in yep. a duck blind where uh, uh, I'm not thinking about those things. It gives me a good break, but it also lets me tune out and tune into the relationships and what I get enjoyment and watching wildlife and doing whatever we're doing. Well, and I'm probably making myself come off the, the wrong way in the sense that, like, hey, I, I love, I mean, let's go, you know, drink a bunch of scotch and have a great time like that's right up my alley right i mean i have a a a wine and whiskey club that i'm a member at and and you know there's going to be a weekend where i'm not going to touch a book all i'm going to do is touch a bottle right so i i I get that uh, i get the disconnecting you know from it absolutely well and i think that you can take uh, for me if i can take the skills that i use every day at my job and I can do another hobby or something outside of work like this podcast that takes the same sort of discipline or learning how to fly fish, right? Yep. And building those relationships. I, you, if you can do a hobby that requires similar skills, there's a weird connection and a weird satisfaction where I go back to the office with a different train of thought yeah. or maybe I've had an idea or something where I'm using those skills back and forth, kind of like you're sharpening the knife. Yep. All the time. Yeah, I am on the quest to find the, the best slice of pizza in the world. So, I mean, I think that's, you know, <laughs> that, that's, that, that, that skill translates. Research and, uh, you know, action. <laughs> and it's hard to turn off like you, that picture you described of getting a, an alert from a, a website about a new story. It's hard to, it's hard to turn off. Yep. So, yep. Um, you know, and I, got, I, I have a, a five and a half year old too, and he, it's hard. That's where it's like you need to tune out for a minute. Yeah. And give her the attention. And, I bet. And uh, so, uh, so what do you think of the museum? This place is crazy. It's bonkers. My dad um, loves to hunt and fish, and I don't think I would be able to get him out of here if he walked in. So it's <laughs> pretty, it's pretty awesome. Well, and and just like in our jobs, um, maybe one of the reasons I'm passionate about what I do is because of the people you meet. Mm-hmm. And you talked about Pat Stone being your mentor. Um, I'm big on accountability and mentorship. Uh, because I require those things. Yeah, right? absolutely. And it was interesting because before we did the podcast, I thought everybody should have accountability and mentorship in their life. Like, I, it was so important to me that I looked at other people that didn't have that. Like, you're missing out. Yeah, what are you doing? But then when you talk to some of these uber successful people, and I started asking them about accountability, 
a lot of them said, well, no, I'm pretty, a, I'm pr- pretty much a self-accountable person. Mm-hmm. So then I started looking and going, you know, I need these things. Doesn't mean everybody does, but I am lazy, unorganized, all those things. And I recognize that. So I have all these uh, uh, relationships um, where if I have a goal at work or, or in personal life, I pick somebody and have them help me with it, even if they don't realize they're helping me with it. Yep. Um, but uh, uh, we talk a lot about uh, Roger Wendell, who was on, on the podcast earlier, um, and uh, what a great mentor to have, you mm-hmm. know. And so being able to, to build those relationships, both in work and out of work, has been a big part of my life. Oh, I, I, amen to that. I mean, I, I'm similar to you in that standpoint. I mean, the, the mentorship and the guidance and the uh, Pat, is he's a mirror that I have to look into. Right. He doesn't allow me to script my own story or build my own fluff around it. He's going to he's going to make me see what's actually happening and and then hold me accountable to it or call me out on it. Um, it's it's pretty funny um, just to kind of tell a little story about one of my first interactions with him. Um, we uh, uh, when we opened up, he's the, sorry to interrupt. He's the CEO of WFG. Right? He is. Yep. He's our, our CEO. And, and I mean, the guy has. You walk into his office and he has all these markers from the, you know, 100 plus acquisitions he's been involved with. And he grew uh, what's what's the largest title company in the nation. He grew them. He was their CEO through their growth phase and um, just a really phenomenal man. And and uh, uh, but also like high D, no nonsense, like no sugarcoating, like you have to develop a little bit of thick skin um, or you're not going to you're not going to make it fast. Um, and so WFG opens and we're having a little bit of success and, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit overconfident, right? That, that we're just, we're killing it. Everything's great. We're crushing it and and life's going to be fine. And, um, I go into his office one day and I'm like, Hey, I got a great idea. You know, I, I want to build this, this website and here's what it's going to do. And here's what I think is going to happen with it. And here's what it's going to cost. And it was not cheap. I mean, it was a six figure sum. And, uh, and so this is going to change the game. It's going to change the world of title and escrow. And after I put together a little business plan on it, um, he gave me the money to, he funded the, the project and through a bunch of various reasons, um, it was not successful. I mean, it was not at all. Um, it was a gigantic, it was a six figure paperweight by, by the, the end. And <clears throat> so I kind of retreated, like kind of retracted back to my comfort zone and started doing the things I knew I could do really well that would make me, you know, feel confident again. And so I get a, I get a call one morning and he's like, um, Hey, I need you to come down to my office. And, um, that's never a fun, you know, call. So I'm like, okay, what did I do? Like, what's going on? It's usually not just wanted to tell you you're doing a great job, yeah. right? It's usually not that. Um, so like I'm walking down, he goes, uh, he grabs his coat, puts it on and grabs his keys. says, we're going to go for a drive. I'm like, okay, this is a first. Like, is he taking me out to just like drop me off in the middle of nowhere and say, walk home? Like, is this one of those dad moments? And so we're driving down uh, the freeway and we take an exit and we kind of pull down like a, a side road and he just pulls the car over, stops, turns it off, turns in his chair, swivels, looks at me and says, so what happened to the, the site was called WFG tools. He goes, what happened with WFG tools? And I kind of, um, erred, uh, well, you know, it, it just like, it just didn't work. And, uh, and he, he pauses for a minute and he looks at me and he goes, Oh, Justin, you're going to take your ball and go home. You didn't get what you wanted. So you just can take your ball and go home. That sounds great. No, that's so cute. Just take your ball and go on home. And I'm like, my eyes are kind of big, like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And he goes, 
I am not upset that you failed. I am not upset that it didn't work. I am furious with you that you didn't learn something through that process and you weren't beating down my door telling me what we were going to do next. And I was blown away. Like, I took this massive swing. I missed. I cost the company a lot of money. And he wasn't upset at that. He was furious that I didn't learn something um, from it that pushed us forward to our next initiative. And so he said, I want you in my office tomorrow morning and you're going to tell me what we're doing next. And so I sat in my, you know, I sat in my house and I just molded over and what, 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 what did we miss and what should we have done different and what were the reasons? And so I went back with a new project plan of what I wanted to, to do next. And it has turned out to be one of our most successful differentiating value propositions. It's um, the core, it's a core uh, piece of technology to our business plan. Um, we're you know, up for Housing Wire, most innovative technology award right now. Um, I ended up winning an award with Housing Wire myself for my work on this piece of technology. And I would be remiss if I didn't also call out all the other people who worked on it too. I mean, the, the developers and our front end UX and UI guys and our marketing guys and our, I mean, so I'd be remiss if I didn't give them. What was the technology award? Um, so, uh, you know how you said you can watch a transaction or you can watch a pizza on Domino's? Yeah. We, we laugh a lot. We call it the domino, the dominoification of the title process. Um, so we built a front end consumer uh, portal that is not clunky. It is all mobile first. It is very modern, um, very gamified that when you open a transaction with WFG, um, they're, they're, your buyer or seller gets this notification. They open the app on their phone, and now they're able to track in real time their closing experience. So they can see what we've done, what we're working on, and what still needs to happen. Each of those key events is defined, so they can click in and say, well, you know, what does it mean that the title report was delivered? Like, what does that mean? What do you mean by gamified? Uh, gamified uh, elements like, have you ever gone to your LinkedIn profile, and it says, like, your profile is 93% complete and you just have to fix the next thing because it's driving you nuts. Gamification are elements like percentage wheels or awards that people can win or badges or things like that. So we, we gamified it from a visual standpoint of having this timeline and this wheel of percentage that always lets you know you know, how close you are. Um, I guess it's not gamified to the standpoint where they can win awards and things like that. But from a from a UX, UI design standpoint, it's it's incredibly modern. Letting you um, know it's incomplete almost, right? Correct, yeah. yep. Um, and then, you know, the, the center piece to that um, has, you know, basic information like turn-by-turn -turn directions to where you're signing, escrow information, uh, your escrow number, the address, sales price. And then the third column um, has... Uh, all of your partners. And so it's got the lender and the realtor and the escrow officer. And we send out text and email notifications every time something is complete. Um, and then we started in, in integrating escrow officer videos. So before you ever walk into a branch, you've seen your escrow officer multiple times. So it's not awkward and unfamiliar. Um, and so we built this really, really amazing consumer first portal. Um, then our real estate agents and lenders started saying, well, well where's my view? So then we built the, the parent account where they can see every single deal they have with WFG um, in real time. They can track their entire pipeline. And, uh, and then we built a couple of cool integrations. So we built an integration with the company called Updater. And uh, it's an online moving portal. So it saves you know, 15 to 18 hours on your move and you know, 600 to $1,000. 
uh, where you can change your, your USPS change of address form and update all your accounts and set up your uh, home utilities and search for moving offers and you can do all of that. And then the last component um, is a home assessment email. And every 90 days we send out uh, to, the, to the buyer, um, a, we pull an AVM and we show them their, uh, their predicted equity in the home, their predicted value. We show them their interest rate versus current market rates. We show them their amortization schedule. We show them what sold uh, recently around them. And then at the bottom, we put the, le- the lender, the realtor, and the escrow officer um, the whole, with the whole mindset of the first point of friction a consumer has is closing is not, it's clunky and not transparent. Then the next thing we need to do is help them with their move because moving is full of friction. And then the next thing we need to do is create cycles instead of assembly lines. We want to help them know how their asset is is performing. Um, but it's crazy. I mean, we have a, a less than 1% unsubscribe rate from notifications. Wow. Um, our, we have about 100,000 files through the system currently. And... Uh, well, our number one, our record to date, we had a buyer log in 96 times over a 45-day closing. So think of the dynamic and what's changing. They just want to look. Like, they just want, where They're are excited. we? They're excited. What's going on? <clears throat> just want to know. And in our world, there's this dead period that no one's communicating with them. We're not communicating because there's nothing to communicate. But they they think if I'm not hearing from someone, boost our incoming call volume by 30%. Wow. What does that mean for service? The ability to be available and... And so then we started serving our customers on the back end. Sorry, I get super geeky and excited about this. But then we started serving our, serving our customers on the back end. And their perception of their experience with our company has gone up. So we're getting higher ratings doing less work. And, uh, and back to that scaling personalization, that technology is empowering humanity. Because now I have escrow officers and escrow assistants who are available Mm-hmm. and can be on the phone or can go grab lunch with their, you know, lender or can, you know, problem solve something that comes up for, you know, a realtor on a transaction because they're not stuck in all this relentless communication loops that we have to do on every file. So, uh, How hard was it to get uh, your escrow officers to do video? Tough. <laughs> it's tough to get anyone to do video. I woke up one day and realized this is just how I look, so I might as well embrace video. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, the outtakes are. Hysterical. You got your guys's outtakes video that just got posted like a week ago. It yep. was it was brilliant. We just finished the videos in Vancouver to get them into the My Home system, and they. I mean, it's so fun to watch people squirm on video. You know, honestly, any part of doing videos, the outtakes are always the best. Oh, amen. Because it, it just shows your true personality, <laughs> and people can just relate to those kind of the screw up so much more than the than the perfect one line. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's intimidating for people to do a video, especially somebody who's behind a desk all day mm-hmm. to do a video. Oh, it, it, the camera gets on and all of a sudden you forget how to talk, right? It's like you think you have to be perfect and everything goes out the wayside and you can't even get a simple thought out without just freezing. I mean, I, I do a ton of video. I do a ton of public speaking and I still struggle with it. I mean, I'll have multiple takes of things that should be really, really simple to do. <laughs> you know, my wife said something really funny last night. We were talking about video and uh, uh, we were talking about how many takes people take, right? If they're doing a 30 second video, they might do 25 takes Mm -hmm. just to get it right. And then she goes, do you realize that your podcast you do in one take? So why are you stressed out about a 30 second video, right? 
conversation yeah. versus people trying to be perfect. I, I wish people would get more comfortable with just being conversational on video too. It, an um, an er, a look to the left, that's not a flaw. That's actually you, that's that's human. I mean. Oh, tell that story. I, I hope it was you. I, I, the refresh, I kind of get everyone. You sure. know, there's so many speakers, but um, if it wasn't, let's just talk about it. Uh, the story where um, there's a, a CEO or something in a YouTube video or doing an interview on like CNN or something, and then his son walks in. Okay. And um, was that you or was that? It was a different presentation, yeah. but I've seen the video. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can you pull that video up, Ryan? You know what is it? Is it the BBC uh, newscaster guy? Yeah, yeah, where his son it, walks into his and office. And then the wife comes in and is like dragging the kids <laughs> out. Yeah. So what, a, and, and the <clears throat> message when uh, the, uh, the speaker was uh, showing that video was, what a missed opportunity mm -hmm. that could have gone so different, right? Yep. When you're on live TV, if you just would have embraced that children, put them up on his lap and joked around, it would have been that Ritz Carlton, Absolutely. right? Like that would have gone viral and would have showed. Well, it did, well, it did go viral. The, <laughs> <laughs> the get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that assessment. I mean, I think we spend so much time trying to be robotic and perfect. And at the end of the day, what makes us human makes us relatable. Um, one of my favorite phrases is, why do we market and sell to people in ways we don't like to be marketed and sold to? Like we do that, we, as soon as we put on our marketing hat, we start doing the things that drive us nuts when they mm -hmm. happen to us. So if you watch a video and you're like, that guy is too slick, that is too rehearsed, it becomes, it's not relatable, it's inauthentic, you almost lose a little bit of trust. If that person is talking to you and then like knocks over their water bottle and then is like, oh shoot, and then picks up the water and be like, anyways, so you know what kind of a morning it's been. <laughs> like, I want to work with that person. Yeah. Not the person who like everything was buttoned up and perfect and it just, I mean, well, because people like to real. buy, they don't like to be sold, right? I, amen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, it, and it's, I think it's cool too because I do a lot of video, but I also take lots of calls on the weekend and, uh, uh, my wife's always very careful where my daughter's at when she knows I'm on the phone or her home office or whatever. But lately I said, just, you know, she's good now. She's not like she's screaming. Yep. But it also lets people know that, hey, I'm at home on the weekend on the phone with you. And yes, I am at uh, a hockey game with my family and they can hear the crowd in the background. Uh, so I like that aspect too. Absolutely. That, uh, that uh, I'm, so when I'm talking about marketing with, other people in our office, um, and Ryan and I both dress wear suits every day. Uh, most days. Most days. <laughs> but um, I, the way I think about it is uh, when you're on the phone with somebody, they're going to have a picture of you in their head, mm -hmm. right? And so what do you want that picture to be? Do you want it to be in flip-flops uh, with your hair all messy, not taking your job serious? Or do you want them to have that picture of you in your suit, professional, showed up, respect their time? Um, and uh, so that's one of the reasons we do what we do. But on the weekends, I want them to have a picture of me not in front of my computer or not with a headset mm -hmm. on like yeah. in a call center, right? Absolutely. I want them to have that image of me. And video really helps, those short little videos. Um, uh, whenever I'm updating someone's numbers, I always include a little video to walk them through it. Uh, but it does get to that place. And somebody else mentioned this at Refresh. It's I call it the Costco effect, where I'll be walking through Costco, and somebody will come up and go, oh, hey, Cody, how you doing? And I have no idea who they are. 
And they don't realize that we've never met, but they've seen my videos a handful of times. And you do the, hey, you. Yeah. Yeah. How are you? And they tell me their name. I'm like, oh, I actually haven't met you yet. Yep. And we don't collect driver's licenses anymore, so I've never seen your picture. Yep. Uh, unless you're plugged into Facebook and all that. But I, I, I love what you said there about people. What do people uh, envision when they think of you? I mean, storytelling happens between us, and we're always you know, creating that scene in our head. And um, the Bomb Bomb, the video company, and one of our presenters at Refresh uh, has this really compelling stat. I don't remember what the stat was, but I, it, it was a significantly increased conversion rate um, for online leads when you followed up with a video message versus uh, just a phone call or a text-related message. And their, their thought behind it is, if someone's selling you and you can't see them, you initially go to cheesy salesman, yep. like car salesman, like the guy with his hair slicked over, mm-hmm. and you you initially go, or you instantly go to that. Versus if you send a video and you disarm them, and they see you in your element, and they get to see that the the look on your face, and that your daughter's pictures are um, on me, uh, on the fridge uh, behind you, and then you've you've I keep using this word, but you've humanized that experience at a much faster rate. People are going to want to interact with you. And they're going to see you differently versus what what they get stuck in their head if they don't. So video is just an underused tool. And I think that applies to small businesses and big companies at the same time. And you kind of see uh, a lot of the marketing, you see that uh, being real um, and on a national level, too. Yep. And you brought up some examples at Refresh. but That, that was actually on my to-do list today because we use BombBomb. Bomb. That mm-hmm. was on my to-do list is to make three new videos for a certain, uh, you know, client, uh, for certain clients, it's on my to-do list. And it's, it's for exactly that reason of, I I was thinking I was, you know, I was in the shower and I was like, how do I, you know, get my message across to where they're not like, who is this guy? Yep. And I was like, I need to do three new videos for X, Y, Z clients and, and, you know, send those out today. So it's on my list, So and I, and I think it'll pay dividends as well. Amen. Well, and to kind of extend on that, um, you're a very much analyst, analytic and statistic guy, right? So whenever you've, you've talked or today about a marketing strategy, you've always kind of gave the analytics of what was the result, right? Um, like we were talking about Roger in the museum and his success rate on his hunts mm-hmm. were 20%. Which is crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, but uh, how do you, I mean, how do you stay accountable with that? What kind of systems do you have set up? Or what would you recommend for uh, a smaller company to, uh, you have all these great ideas, but how do you get to the point where you're tracking it? Yeah, I think you got to remove pride from it right off the bat. And, and not, you want outcomes. And if you want the outcome, then you don't get caught up on how you get there. You get caught up on like what gets you there. And so I think first people have to realize this concept of being in the space or I need to do, some of that is rooted in our in our own fears because it's more like, well, but I'm comfortable doing this or this is easy. Or fun. Or this is fun. And um, and, and even though it's not returning um, any of the results that I want, you know, I'm going to stick with it. I, I work with so many salespeople who will tell me the one outlying story of when they went to, you know, a 4-H, you know, 
contest and then bumped into like one realtor there and then that him and that realtor went and had you know greasy carnival food and then that realtor became a friend and then they turned it into a transaction and now they're saying well i want to just go hang out at 4-h events all the time right they're they're taking that one comfortable situation that led to one success and making it the rule versus the core activity that would would help them get the outcome and so i think the first thing you have to do is remove your pride and and a little bit of your ego from it and say where do I want to end up? And then you test. And the greatest thing about marketing is the results are what they are, right? So if no one's engaging, if no one's commenting, if no one's sharing, if no one's calling, if no one's filling out the form, it's off. Like you can't blame the audience for that. What, what kind of tips would you give to maybe um, a startup or uh, a, a company with one person? Uh, because it seems time-consuming to track all those statistics, right? And if you don't have... Uh, a division in your marketing team to do analytics, what are some good pointers you can give somebody mm -hmm. uh, like myself or Ryan or somebody starting a Mary Kay or whatever? whatever? Well, first and foremost, I think take risks. I mean, try new things. The more risks you take, the less risky they become. So try a bunch of new things to see what works. We used to keep a list early on that was keep, stop, and, uh, and start. And it was, what were we going to keep doing because it was continually working? What were we going to stop doing because it was never working? And what things were we going to start doing to try? And those things were going to either end up in keep or stop. They were eventually going to end up in one of those columns. But I wouldn't overcomplicate it. I mean, when you're talking about social, you're looking at things like engagement. If you scroll through your Facebook page and you see that no one has liked, commented, shared, or interacted, your content's off. I mean, that's just a true statement because no one is finding it compelling or you're not getting it in front of the right people. I mean, that, that could be as well. When you're looking at emails, you're looking at, you know, open rates and, and click-through rates. You know, what are you pushing people to? If we get into super lead gen stuff, you're looking at things like, you know, split testing landing pages to see which one gets more form fills. You know, you can get that complicated. But in a relationship um, world, it's like, I like to think about it like at bats. Like how many conversations did it generate for you? you know, how many, how many, opportunities that it take you from going to, you know, a mass marketing piece or a one to hopefully a one to a few would be my preference. But how many of those things went out that turned into real, authentic, one to one interactions with someone that then continue to build the relationship, build the rapport, you know, le uh, uh, position you as an authority, position you as who they'd like to refer in that in that place. So I think people can overcomplicate the, that side of things. I more get stuck up in when people you know, continue to use the same systems even though they don't work or keep paying the $99 a month for this tool and, they've, and, and you log into it. Like, for instance, like a BombBomb account. You log into it and you see the last time they sent out a BombBomb email was like six months ago. You're like, you don't need this. Either you haven't figured out how to make it successful or you have a hurdle that's, that's going to prevent you from using it. Um, I had a, a good friend recently tell me, a story that's really stuck with me and, and we're trying to implement a little bit of this process into our world. Uh, what do you think the two highest selling items at Trader Joe's were when it first started as a company? Two buck chuck. Nope. Granola. Nope. I'm trying to think. Two buck chuck for people that don't live around here because <laughs> it's a regional company, right? Uh, it it's uh, I think it's a little bit more national now. I think but they, is there but two bo two dollar bottle of wine? The first yeah. thing I ever bought there was because I had seen a nutritionist and I had to get the boxed mashed potatoes, <laughs> <laughs> ammunition and cigarettes. 
<laughs> what? Ammunition and at Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's <clears throat> top two selling items. It started out on like like army bases, and their top two selling items were ammunition and uh, and cigarettes. Got to give a little shout out to Sam Trimble who told me this story. Uh, my friend over in El Paso who runs a title company, and uh, the owner of Trader Joe's said, "You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna keep. We're gonna bring in a hundred percent new products." We're going to run those SKUs through, you know, a, a quarter or two quarters or whatever their time frame was, and then we're going to keep the top twenty percent, uh, top twenty percent of selling items, and we're ditching the other eighty, gone. And then we're going to bring in a new set of products, 80, and we're going to keep rule. the twenty, and we're going to kill the the, the the next eighty, and we're going to just stay in this process of always looking for what are our top selling items. And now you look at it as like this organic, like kind of, you know, hipster, like I got to go in and get my cauliflower, cauliflower pizza crust type yeah. store. And it started out selling cigarettes and ammunition. That's hilarious. Like, it's just, it's crazy to me. So I think that's the, the lesson to take from that is like, what are the top 20% of your high payoff activities? How can you spend more time in that? And what is that 80% that you can just say, like, I always think I need to do it, but I don't, and I can just get rid of it. See, and that's, we've been to some recent seminars where <clears throat> they talked about exactly that, and that's implementing, uh, you know, your, your, your top, you know, money-making activities, if you will. And for me, uh, you know, marketing is something that they say you got to implement, just ha- have somebody do it for you, which I agree to a certain point. But if we go back to what we talked about earlier, the handwritten note cards coming actually from you with your own verbiage or you making your own video or, mm-hmm. or whatever it may be still, you still got to keep that personal touch. Well, it's, it's the challenge with those two topics of tech and marketing is people lump everything into it. I mean, so when someone's like, you got to have someone do your marketing for you, I think there are elements of that. Like maybe you don't need to get involved in video creation and editing because there it's easy for you to be able to outsource that. Or, you know, maybe if you're going to have somebody start writing some industry-related content for you. You don't need to become a copywriter. You can throw topics out to a, um, you know, a content writer. Um, but, but as you move to the more relational stuff, the, the one-to-one, how can you pass that off to someone else? Yeah. I mean, I think that's just detrimental to, to think you could put that part of your... And maybe marketing is the wrong term for it. I mean... I, I get really frustrated when we use terms like, and I use them too, but I get really frustrated when we use terms like lead gen. It's like they're people. They're not leads. Yeah. They're human beings, and they're going through a stressful process. And so I think maybe marketing is even the wrong term for it. It's like maybe we should just call it like caring about people. <laughs> yeah. Darren Hardy has a great story. When he first started doing real estate, he was having a really hard time with conversion, and he went to the top guy in the office and said, "I'm uh, these leads suck. Uh, I'm, I'm having a horrible time with conversion. And he goes, well, let me see your list. And uh, at the top of his list, it was called hit list. <laughs> and so what he, and he, and he said, how's this going? And he's like, I'm not getting any conversion. So he took out the pen, he crossed out hit list, and he goes, people, I'm going to help today. And just having that top of his list, his conversion went up. Dude, I have goose, I mean, goosebumps. Like, yeah. Get back to people. Yeah. Uh, so kind of to what Ryan was saying, and marketing you can't just, there's not just a marketing person, it seems like anymore. There's so many different facets of marketing. Um, and I'm just using this time selfishly to get some free advice from you. But <laughs> sure. uh, when you are at that point where you're ready to hire a marketing person, 
give some pointers on how some best practices when looking for a marketing person. And I'm kind of jumping, I'm assuming you're going to say this, but also like I'm looking at myself, right? And doing the videos, doing the content, all that stuff is fun and, and relatively easy for me. But the analytics, mm-hmm. like if I am going to hire uh, a marketing person, I would like that analytics part off my plate. Uh, absolutely. Right? I, I think that's key. I mean, I think that person bringing you the data that you get to digest and figure out what to do next type of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because there's so many more things for people to focus on a marketing, but it's becoming, well, this is maybe an overgeneralization. My feeling is that we're getting less generalizations, though. We're getting people who, because we're growing up with Instagram and Facebook and we've we're becoming content creators in our own right every single day. You know, it's not like graphics designers and then you need a content writer. And they, I mean, th- those people are starting to meld together and, and start, you know, telling stories and, and using those platforms. Um, my preference would always be to find someone that can do the design and some of the copy because that needs to continue to elevate with so much noise what you say and what you see matters so much more than it used to. Um, but what I hope people don't do is hire marketing people and think that person can replace your voice because it's, it's your voice that's got to shine through. And whether that's having a process for you know QC, for quality control, where it ends up in front of you and you're reading through it and saying, you know what, that's not exactly how I would position that. Um, let's, let's take another run at that. Or saying, hey, look, these are things I can never offload. I can't ever offload my personal profile on Facebook. I can't. I can't have someone else go share and say the things that I'm seeing. I mean, I... He's giving me the dirty look because our receptionist manages my Facebook account. <laughs> <laughs> Cody basically doesn't know his logins for Facebook people. I had to log in. I had to log in to see pictures of this dog breeder's website because she didn't have a... Or do, the, these dogs that she was breeding because she didn't have a website. And it took me like three days to crack into my own Facebook. That's hilarious. Well, it's, you know, I, I like to call it life casting. Like, can you just share, you know, can you just share what's going on in your world? And people want and that's what forms your identity. I mean, at Refresh, I know this is, I'm just joking around here, but at Refresh, I got on stage and said, all right, guys, you know, how many of you know what my favorite food is? And like 30% of the audience was like, pizza, right? Because I share like, I'm in New York. and I should have got a breakfast pizza. Oh, I, w- I would have never left if you brought it. <laughs> um, but w- identities are what make us relatable, and we try to be too vanilla or general. It's like, I love pizza. I love scotch. I should have graduated from taking Jaeger bombs at this point in time in my life. I have not. Um, and my I tried really hard today to bring in like a soda water, and it's killing me that it's not a Red Bull because it should be a Red Bull, right? So... It's, it, it's helping people see that those things that make you authentically you. And, um, but what you can automate is the person who organizes it for you. And I got, a little, I got a little opportunity to spend some time with Gary V, who's like massive social media influencer and really creative marketing guy. And he has like a personal marketing assistant that follows him around. And he's a videographer and he, and he has graphic design skills and he helps tell the story. He just points Gary to where he needs to be and says, go. So he, we, Gary didn't remove his voice, his thought process, his, his identity. He, he created a system or a process or a structure to have someone else be organized and just point him there. So he'll, he walks into a room. We, got, we did this private interview session with him when we were at um, the Inman conference a couple years ago. 
he walks into the room, we have like 12 questions set up. Um, he sits down, sits in front of a camera, and he just hammers out those those 12 questions, crushes it, like crushes what he's saying. And he gets up and he's out the door because the guy's like, hey, we're done. We got to go to the next one. And then he goes out and he's at a meet and greet and he's doing these, you know, 30 second video clips with, you know, I influencers who were there. And then he's like, okay, we got to go. And then he walks over and they have this like private party and he gets up on stage and delivers a 15. I mean, that person just told him, just pointed, like pointed him like a gun. Go here, shoot. Go yeah. here, shoot. That's what I think you want out of a marketing assistant is someone who's so organized with the plan and the approach that you can be efficient with your time where you walk in and you're like, all right, here are the three videos we're shooting today. Here are the three topics. Camera's on. Let's roll. And then you're done. You're back to your world. And that person is editing those videos, getting those videos distributed. And then they call you back in and like, hey, we got, you know. Um, I need these three emails um, scripted from you, one to Jeff, and we're talking about this, one to John, and we're talking about this, and you script out those emails, and then you're off. It's that, that organization and push, and then the data. So what do you look for in your candidates to find that person? Because it seems like anybody can say, oh, I'm going to do marketing and put that title on, <coughs> that really they don't know anything about marketing. Um, we give them projects. I mean, well, I'll say, all right, you know, we're getting ready for an event, and here's the theme of the event, and I'd like you to come up with uh, the visual representation of that theme, how we're going to convey it to our audience, and what the underlying copy should be to to uh, promote the message, and we'll just we'll just say, hey, you know, shoot shoot it back. We want to see we want to see what your process is like. Um, other thing we've used in the past is a company called Creative Circle, where we can test drive, like we can bring someone in for you know, three days, start to get a feel for how they work. Because interviews are the most inefficient thing in the world. You know, people can tell you whatever you want to hear. Yeah. We're lazy. We'll go, actually, I really liked that person's answer, so they're my candidate. It's like, is that really the, the diff? I mean, we just want to filter and make a decision. So we'll make, make it based on something inconsequential. And I'm, I've hired people that I thought were going to be superstars that turned out to be duds. And I've, I've hired people where I'm like, I do not think this person is going to make it. And they're rock stars, right? So I just get really uh, disenfranchised with the interview process. So I like to, to give people projects. Talk more about that uh, service. Uh, Creative Circle? Yeah. Uh, they're, they, they have a, an office in Portland. <clears throat> they, um, so what do you mean they test drive? They have thousands of like in contract employees in all areas of expertise from content creation, website development, um, after effects and visual effects, video, uh, graphics design, like anything in between. And you can either pitch them out a project like, hey, this is what I need to get done. And they'll start sending you candidates that they think are right for the project and they'll scope out the project and it's just a one-time cost. Or you can say, hey, like, like when we get really busy, it's a variable cost for us. We'll say, throw us a graphic designer. You know who we are and what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, we need them for 10 days. And that person will come out to our office, bring their own equipment, sit down. You know, we know what we're paying for them and we'll have an on-staff graphic designer for 10 days. Uh, but what's cool about that is you can, when you have a position opening up, you can have them send you someone. And then there's a, it's kind of like a, you know, it's pseudo headhunterish in the fact that you pay them a fee and you can hire that person full time. Wow. And I'd, I'd rather pay, you know, the 20% on, I'd rather pay the 20% on that offer knowing I got the right, the right person than go the, you know, six months, find out it's the wrong person, 
then the cost of replacing that person um, and going through all of that again. So we've started to use them, um, especially when it comes to design stuff, because unlike unlike salespeople or you know escrow folks or things like that, in the marketing world, I can just say, show me, like show me. What have you done? Let me see your portfolio. Will you design this for me? Will Will you come up with a creative marketing campaign for this concept and show me what audience you would run it to and, and what you would budget? Like, show me. And um, if people, you, you see people either get really excited, like, cool, or they're like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, like uh-oh. I was talking about how much I know Facebook, and now I have to tell him what custom audience we're going to run it to, what our visual is going to be, what our, what our copy is going to be, what I expect as a predicted interaction for you know, impressions and click rate and, and how many leads I expect to generate, maybe this isn't the job for me type of thing. Well, I'm glad, really glad we're recording this because I'm going to steal everything you just said and <laughs> apply it um, because, uh, you know, I'm good at a lot of things, but marketing isn't one of them. And so in hiring good marketing people, I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think all that's great. And realizing that the analytics, you know, I, if I had, could just have somebody work on analytics or I love your... Uh, um, what was it? Continue, terminate, start? Uh, keep, stop, start. Keep, stop, start. Yeah. So, well, good. Well, um, I'm glad you came on today. No, I had a blast. I appreciate uh, you guys having me. And it was fun getting to know you on the podcast a little bit. It's, it's fun. We have mixed guests. So some of our guests we know really well and some I've never met before. And it's always fun to kind of see where the conversation goes. But um Uh, But thanks for coming on. Anytime you want to come up and see the museum or come on the podcast again, you're always welcome. I might throw that out there to you. I think my my dad would love this place, so I'd I'd love to let him. Maybe what we should do is do like a uh, podcast party with all the past guests and have them come up. Yeah, invite their families. That'd be fun. I'll I'll bring the pizza and the Jaeger bombs. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, So uh, number twenty is up next. Uh, Thanks for everyone for your continued support. Uh, Please subscribe, share on social media, uh, and we'll see you next time. All right, we're out. Thank you.